So it's Wednesday the 29th of July at about half past 11. I'm sitting here at the Luca coffee shop in my home village of Westrum. Uh, after all these, these uh, conversations we've had with people around the country. And I'm sitting here with neighbors that I didn't know I had until yesterday. Um, and they are a wonderful couple, Lawrence Besto and Alice and Nicola Leprovo. Sorry, that's Alice. I don't know why I keep calling you Alice. Um, Nicola Leprovo. How do you pronounce Le Prevo. it? Leprovo. Say it again. Leprovo. Leprovo. Um, and I had to make sure I didn't say bestow as opposed to besto for Lawrence. It's Lawrence Besto. And uh, it's a lovely morning, and I'm just about to hand over to. Who shall I start with, Lawrence? Start with, start with Nicola. <laughs> start with Nicola. Women, ladies first. And uh, I've asked them already the, the basic kind of question about how, how did you cope with the lockdown? Uh, what advice would you give to people? Actually, I'll ask, I'll ask um, um, Nicola to uh, introduce herself and then just start speaking about life under lockdown and where we go forward, especially in terms of mental health issues that may have been generated by the lockdown. And then and at any point, Lawrence, if he wishes to, can join us, um, add whatever he wants by way of his own opinion, interpretation, commentary. So over to you, Nicola. Thank you. So I'm Nicola, I'm a recently retired nurse, having spent many, many years working in end-of-life care through hospices and in the NHS. Because with all this noise going, you have to go as close to as possible. So I'm very much about when I've been at work, focusing on people how illness affects them and relationships that are affected by illness and supporting both patients and families. So coming into the situation with COVID, where I was somebody who had to be shielding, it was quite a different scenario to anything I'd come across before really, as for so many people. For me, it was quite frustrating, that initial time leading up to shutdown, because I was thinking if I was still at work, I would still be involved in this. But I can't be involved in this, because A, because I've retired, B, because I'm shielding because of health issues I'd had last year. And how frustrating that was compared to sort of people that I knew who were really working hard and knowing what people would be going through at work very much and not being able to be part of it. So, and also a lot of my friends being quite affected by having to work through it in various ways and change how they were delivering care and support or working in services. One of the things that's really kept us going and trying to keep 
a balance in life has been that re-engagement with the outside world as nature really having lots of long walks taking a spade and fork to a good part of the garden and changing the landscape at home and becoming productive right. <laughs> well, may i ask what's your favorite walk around here we like walking around the back fields really up that way really anywhere i wouldn't i wouldn't say describe it for people who don't know where that way is yeah, okay behind uh, the town okay westrum is a it's a small town set on an unfortunately busy a road um but it's very easy to get out of it's surrounded by fields it's um it's an area of outstanding natural beauty you can you can walk for miles and miles um and you're surprised always at suddenly how high you are and you get a vista uh, across across kent um in one direction or another and we we are fortunate with a, a lot of footpaths and and open spaces Squares, yes. There's lots of um, woodland. There's lots of open, open fields um, on the Squares estate, and um, very fortunately, we can we can wander more or less at will, which uh, which we do. So if, if I'll just um, while I'm talking, if I just if I just say one of the things that's surprised me most about the lockdown and it hasn't affected me personally a great deal because i'm retired so there's no question of having to do that horrible commute into london or or anything like that um one of the things that surprised me most is how other people have have reacted to it there's, mm. there's the whole the whole spectrum um one, one of our friends has been who is vulnerable and shielding herself has been very badly mentally affected uh, by, by the whole thing yeah. and I'm not sure that um, what did, what, she, I, I mean without mentioning names would you yes telling us what the mental condition was yeah I think she's um, she's getting panic attacks the the thought I think of going outside now is daunting to the to the point where sometimes she can't bring herself to do it um, other times she can do it and when she manages to get outside do a simple thing like going into marks and sparks um, and managing to do that without a panic attack is quite a quite a great achievement for her um, whether this is temporary or not um, remains to be seen but um, yeah that, that's a personal experience um, of someone who's been very badly affected. Do you know what she's doing to overcome this? What's she doing to overcome it? I, I think really she's relying on her friends. Um, headspace app. Oh, you yeah. She uses the Headspace app to try and do relaxation and headspace. calmness app on her phone. Ah. Um, and we've been having... What is that? Can you describe that a bit? So well, it does mindfulness and CBT type CBT. exercises, cognitive behavioural therapy, to help calm anxieties and relax and help help her to sleep. We, as a group of friends, have been having weekly, twice weekly Zoom chats for about half an hour. 
or an hour together and just lots of texting and keeping in touch and sending photos to each other. So that's been one way of managing for Can us. Tell us a bit about mindfulness before we go further. I can't think. I can't explain it. About what? Mindfulness. mindfulness. Mindfulness is about trying to keep your mind in the moment and not let it get overactive and look at other situations. It's about trying to just keep focused on your breathing, trying to keep focused on the immediacy of life and to re-engage with just being calm and quiet. That's a lovely practice. I've heard that they use Buddhist techniques for that. It, yeah, so use a lot of techniques. Um, but but a lot of it's breathing, relaxation. It's just trying to stop your mind jumping around everywhere else, get a little bit of focus, little bit of focus on something that's just present in your life at that moment right. and not just start letting your brain race away with other issues right. or thoughts. Yeah. It's about channeling your thoughts more. Yeah, I think the Buddhists call it the monkey mind that's jumping around like mm. a monkey in the trees. Just stop the monkey jumping yeah. around, does it? Sort of like that. Good, so now where do you think, well, go ahead, Lawrence. No, go on, go on. Uh, well, I was going to ask, where, how do you think we can um, turn this crisis to spiritual account? Well, one of the other things I've been involved in through lockdown and it's been more of that more recently than earlier right. is that I'm, I did apply to be an NHS responder to do the check-in and chat telephone calls with the national programme. And a couple of the recent talks I've done, people have had very severe anxieties, not really related to lockdown directly, but just surfacing emotional baggage that has been kept suppressed or they've had previous treatment for some of it in mental health services and how open people are to strangers just having the time to talk yeah. and finding it just helpful to have a listening ear and some compassion they don't it's not actually offering anything that you would term as a therapeutic intervention. It's just about actually just being able to listen and acknowledge that they have these feelings at that time. Yeah, someone told me that empathy manifested to a person who's suffering from anxiety is often the most effective way of getting into the, the subconscious levels where the anxieties come from. Just empathy. A, a, friendly face, a smile, yeah. um, a look in the eyes. But it's really hard to do that on the telephone. <laughs> so it really but has to be about do. voice. Uh, and showing interest that you are actually genuinely listening. Yeah. So it's using listening and reflection because you can't use the visual cues. Right. Have you tried? Have you had to do that by telephone? Mm. Right. So part of the responder role with the check-in and chat is that you are just telephoning somebody you've never met right. or know nothing about, 
to try and help them feel a bit better. Right. That's a wonderful service that you perform. How many of those have you done? About a handful. Well done. Lawrence, would you like to... It, it, listening to Nicola talking to these people um, as part of her volunteer service, from what I can gather, just some snippets of the conversation, the people are not really talking about the COVID situation at all. They seem to be talking about all and sundry. Now, whether these are naturally anxious people or not, um, or whether they, they would just like to talk to a stranger, is, is very difficult to tell. But I, I, my experience, correct me if I'm wrong, Nicola, is that, that they're not actually ringing directly, overtly, because of COVID. No. I would say out of the calls I've done, well, certainly one call I did, really, the issues were not COVID-related. I think that person had been referred to the service because the referrer didn't know what else to do and wanted something that was quickly available. Mm. Well, you were saying earlier, Nicola, that you thought that one thing that we should all be doing more is to go back to elements of our traditions that we have forgotten about or lost touch with. Would you like to talk a bit more about that? Well, I think I have thought long and hard about this through the current lockdown much more, but it's always been something niggling in my mind and when I've been at work looking to be more holistic and trying to think about what naturally occurs that is helpful to us. So I've always had an interest in massage, aromatherapy, reflexology, Excellent. the use of complementary methods to help people be less anxious. Acupuncture? Acupuncture. I've used acupuncture. What, you can do that? You do? No, I've had acupuncture. Oh, I've had I've, I used to do reflexology myself. That's just on the feet, isn't yeah. it? Give us a brief description of what that means. You've got to like feet. You can't be scared of feet. <laughs> a lot of people don't like feet. A lot of people don't like having their feet touched. So you've got to have somebody who's receptive to having their foot touched. And you've got to be unafraid of touching feet. Right. So it's a massage of the foot that involves using the pressure points in a certain way. And you can pick up tensions in the feet, really? in the soles of the feet, can that would that can give you an indication of where somebody might be feeling emotionally or physically unwell. And you work on that area of the foot. Is that related to the organs? Yeah, it's a bit like the follows the sort of Chinese medicine, acupuncture, meridians. Right. It's all mirrored in the feet. Right. Wonderful. Lawrence. As you were talking to me about the importance of the perennial philosophy of Aldous Huxley, and do you think there's any relevance uh, in that philosophy for our present predicament? Yes, I, I think it's not only perennial, but it's it's universal, and it's um, it sounds a bit pompous, but I think it's relevant in all situations, in all times. And it's, it's really about um, putting people back in touch with their, their true nature, not the, not the veneer of the 
superficial civilization which we're unfortunate enough to live in at the moment. But the the real heights or depths of, of what we are capable of of mentally. Um, so it, yes, it, it, it's always relevant. The difficulty is um, shutting off from the the noise that's around us and getting getting back to what what's really important. Um, it, it reminds me that one of my well one of my great guitar heroes, Jimi Hendrix, used to, in one song, referred to the world as it is as the noise. And, and to a large extent, that is right. And you can't concentrate on things with the noise. And you can probably hear the background noise here. Um, however, with various techniques um, under the umbrella of mindfulness, you can, in theory at least, maintain that mindfulness in any situation that's easier said than done um, i think it's easier to be mindful in the forest on your own or with a quiet companion than it is um sitting here on western high street but um but the other thing i'd like to say about the lockdown is that a lot of people have politicized it the government's this the government's that or they've um, now we've got a, a polarization between people who will happily wear masks and people who won't, and they seem to be at one another's throats, um, which is sad. And I, it's not something like the Blitz, where people are said to have pulled together. Mm. It, it's a, it's a, had a polarizing effect. That, that's interesting. No one trusts the governments anymore. Mm. Uh, people don't trust the NHS, or in the states, they don't trust the the um the, well they don't trust the president no but they, they don't trust the medical authorities in the states the f the fda um what's the fda the food and drug administration oh. um the the conspiracy theories are well i was going to say bonkers but it, it, in fact they're very popular and I, it seems to be that they're growing mm. um so where we'll go after this... Would you like to tell... I mean, I, I've heard some of the conspiracies, but would you like to just tell me one of the most plausible conspiracy theories you've come across? I think the most plausible, um, funnily enough, is the 5G theory, because they're... Can they're, you tell us what that is? Right, well, we're, we're having a um, an upgrade on the infrastructure of the telephone networks world, worldwide from started off as i don't know whether it was ever 1g but it started off as 2g 3g 4g and now we're upgrading to 5g exactly what it means i don't know but it's a um it seems to be a different frequency of radio signal that's being in, uh put in place there seem to be some plausible real studies which say that these things do affect the outer layers of people's skin which I can understand an electric field or um, a field of any sort is going to have some effects on on human flesh and bone because we're, we're objects in the field like anything else. But then to make the step which people do in, in the conspiracy theory that therefore this thing is then spreading the virus seems to me to be a step or two 
too far. No. I mean that, that it's part of a, of, a, of a government policy to have released the virus and then to have got this 5G to ensure that it keeps spreading. I think that's one aspect of the theory. I think another aspect of the theory is that the the 5G is actually the virus itself. I mean, really? once you start imagining these things, there's there's no limit, is there? Yeah. Um, and we, you know, people have been attacking these masks, but it's it's partially understandable because we're faced with an invisible, possibly deadly threat about which initially we knew next to nothing. And it's not surprising that people will react in an irrational way. Um, I know personally, when I'm faced with a real threat, and frankly, I, I don't see the virus as a real threat to me. Um, maybe I'm just lucky in living in a, um, a, a, an environment where I'm not particularly at risk. But when I feel at risk, I, I revert to kind of magical, perhaps pre-civilized thinking. It's the sort of thing where, you know, if, if this doesn't happen, then I'm going to be all right. And there's no logic to it whatsoever. I don't know whether I've strayed off the subject there. No, no, I, I, very interesting. I mean, would you like to talk a little bit about your own practice of mindfulness? Do you have a meditative technique? You said that it's easier to be mindful on your own in the forest. Yes. And what do you do? Just still your mind. Well, I think um, I think now, when I started meditating in my twenties, about forty years ago, I was following the um, one of the Evans Wentz books. Yeah. Just repeat that. Yes, yeah, so I was following one of the Evans Wentz translations of a Tibetan text called Tibetan Yoga and Secret Practices, um, which was, it was interesting because one of the first techniques is you sit quietly on your own and notice your thoughts without trying to react to them. And then the second stage, weeks, months, who knows, years later, would be to realize that you can't actually stop your thoughts. And in some paradoxical way, that quite frequently slows your thoughts down, almost to the point where they do, they do in fact stop. Mm. But what I try to do now, and it's not, not possible all the time, otherwise I'd be a saint, is to be here now, but in ordinary circumstances, mm. like, like sitting here now. Um, and in fact, in, in, in some parts of Tibetan Zen Buddhism, the theory is that actually you don't need to do anything at all because we are already enlightened. Um, it's, it's a pretty high, high philosophy. And I don't think in reality one could actually live and function and survive very long in the modern world um, living that way because you wouldn't go to work, for example. But... Um, that, that's a circle that needs to be squared. Mm -hmm. Nicola, would you like to add anything to that in terms of your experience of, of mindfulness and of, of people that you've spoken to and counselled? I think 
if you it's about somebody finding what works for them. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be a set core of beliefs. I think it's very powerful when you have your own beliefs and understanding of where those beliefs come from. And for some people, they need that intellectual understanding as well as the ability to practice. For other people, they just need a method that can be given to them and explained that this it will be helpful for you by marshalling your thoughts and don't necessarily need a strong existential philosophical basis for. Mm. So it's about gauging where people are being able to interact with that that is important. I've looked after people who have very deeply religious beliefs and can't square their religious beliefs with what's happening to them. And it's about how do you find that way in to open up the conversation but not necessarily actually square the circle for them because it's not possible but it's about actually having the avenue to say well you can understand that and we know how that maybe how somebody else could help discuss that but actually you if we actually get you doing this deep breathing exercise or this reflective thinking you might just help you feel a little bit better and more able to talk to somebody i noticed that you have a, a crucifix around your neck um that is immediately a kind of consoling symbol is that something that had just happened or is it something that you, you hope will happen? That you like people to know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not really that. It's actually a commitment. Wasn't it? <laughs> a sign of commitment <laughs> that Lawrence bought me. Oh. Yeah, um, I, I bought it in Cyprus. I, I, I bought it in Cyprus. I, I don't think that either of us are particularly... We, we would say that we're Christian, but we, we happen to have been brought up in a, in a Christian culture. Um, and to us, it, it could quite easily just have been a heart or a rose or, or anything else, I think. Um, I don't know whether Nicola would agree with that. Yes, and I think I spent some years working in a Christian organisation, not because I was particularly religious, religious or because I wanted to work in a Christian organisation per se. It was more an organisation where I believed what they were doing was right mm. and where I fitted in in terms of my skill set. So you, you agreed very much with, the, with what the Christian organisation was doing, even if you didn't necessarily uphold all of the beliefs that... Absolutely. It was also a great eye-opener, really, in some of the way that people react, even though they profess to be acute. I really think that one of the things that this situation over the past few months has shown is that we need to have common kindness for each other still and take much more time to reflect on the benefits of the things that are around us naturally rather than keep looking for solutions being presented to us and artificial solutions. There's so much we can do to help ourselves and access 
exactly. start to think about what the natural world and the old ways tell us. Thank you. Yes, and I, I think that there's there's a, a distrust leading on from that of the the vaccination program, which people uh, seem to think is coming, mm. potentially a compulsory vaccination program, or or possibly a a regime where people can only travel if they have a vaccination certificate. Um, I don't know how any government's going to cope with that. There's a lot of opposition to it already. But yes, getting back to what is important, um, trying to accept that we are um, prone to illnesses and diseases and that we can't control things and that perhaps there are forces which we will, we will never control. And we have to perhaps humble ourselves and realise that humanity is perhaps not all that in charge of its own destiny certainly not at the moment in in physical terms but nevertheless if you if you're totally in the moment all, all those things tend to evaporate if, if you can if you can get there great thank you very much lawrence that's wonderful thank you both very very much for your time do you want to carry on? No, not really. I was going to oh, say it's a you... bit about our expectations of what can be provided for us has to change. We're not going to have eternal life forevermore and we need to adjust the way we are to make the best of what we have rather than keep looking to improve and have more. Thank you very much.